You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have here in the United States. This is episode 180 of American Sex Podcast, and I'm Sunny Megatron. My co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg, and we're both sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and we are kinky perverts, too, that just so happen to be non-monogamously married to each other. So our guest this week is, drumroll please, me! It is me. Y'all really enjoyed the last kink freestyle episode I did, which I think was episode 172, and you've been asking for me to do it again. So here we go. And by the way, it's just me this whole episode, but Ken will be back in the next episode. So what is BDSM freestyle? So I start with one subject, and I just kind of bop from topic to topic stream of consciousness style. So this is usually part of the intro where I give you the guest bio so you know who you're talking to. And I'm going to do this quick like drive-by reintroduction of me this time because like if you're a regular listener, you, you already heard all this. You know who I am. Okay, so ready? Quick, go. Hi, I'm Sunny Megatron, certified sexuality educator and certified relationship coach. My focus is is general pleasure-based sex ed and BDSM education. I teach to the general public and I train care professionals like therapists, social workers, and other sexuality educators about BDSM and sexuality in general. I'm also the co-creator, executive producer, and host of the Showtime original series, Sex with Sunny Megatron, and I've won stuff like X-Biz Sexpert of the Year 2021, I was Kinkly Sex Blogging Superhero, even American Sex won a sex podcast award this year. I also co-host Open Deeply Podcast along with sex-positive licensed marriage and family therapist, Kate Lurie. I also write for magazines. I contribute to a lot of books. And I'm currently writing my first book, Customizable Kink, A Strategic Guide to Erotic Play, coming in 2022, knock on wood. On a more personal note, I'm queer, consensually non-monogamous, married, a BDSM practitioner, I'm biracial. I'm the parent of two adult children. And in kink, I did identify as a submissive for a second, uh, but I consider myself a dominant, more specifically, a psychological sadist. Okay, whoo, that's a lot. So what do we talk about in this episode? Okay, I made a list. First, we talk about terms like kink and BDSM and SM and fetish and DS. And are, are they all the same? Are they different? How do we know when we're using the right one? What if somebody uses one? What do they mean? I get into all that. Then I answer the question, is kink a sexual orientation? I talk about the problem with online BDSM tests. Also, I do some clit myth busting. We talk about littles and age play. Also, the consent acronyms, SSC, RAC, PRIC. We go over the difference between edging and edge play. Oh, and I give you the most important tip of all, how to fart on command. Yeah, you heard that right. But before we get to the farting lessons and the acronyms, maybe I'll even have you farting acronyms. Like, there's a lot. Uh, you know what we got to do, right? We got to wash the balls, which... 
that is what we call housekeeping here on American Sex. So first, I want to call your attention to the show notes for this episode, 180, there at americansexpodcast.com, or in the description of whatever podcast player you are listening to right now. You'll find the links to everything that I mentioned in this episode, plus a lot more like our sponsor discounts, additional discounts for a ton of adult retailers and mainstream companies too. And there's free stuff like the link to our sex positive discord server and my free BDSM negotiation mini workbook. And by the way, if you're going to the podcast player notes, make sure that you're subscribed to American Sex Podcast so you're notified every time we have a new episode. And hey, while you're in there anyway, maybe leave us one of those awesome five-star reviews. We'll love you forever. We'll, We'll love you forever anyway. You know, we love you. But if there's more that you'd like to do to support American Sex Podcast, there's also the link to our Patreon in those show notes. It's patreon.com slash American sex. And by the way, thanks to all of your support on Patreon and other places, we are getting a new podcast interface. If you're a regular listener, you might notice every once in a while, there's like some static and popping And as the months and weeks have gone on, it's gotten worse. And we're like, oh, no, our little interface is dying. And we just got a fancy, dancy new podcasting interface with a bunch of bells and whistles. So uh, not this episode. It's here, but I haven't had a chance to put it together and play with it. But next episode, you will have some enhanced sound. And again, that's all thanks to you. We love you. Thank you so much. If you're looking for other ways to support us, there is one you can do by doing what you already do. And that is through Kink Academy. They are the number one resource hands down for any kind of kink education, self-study, etc. It's an on-demand library of over 2000 videos from 140 of the top BDSM educators in the world, including Ken and I. We have a couple of series up on Kink Academy too. And They cover everything from beginner basics to super advanced stuff. So if you sign up to Kink Academy using our faculty link, which is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Kink Academy, all one word, it helps support this podcast. A subscription is about 20 bucks a month, but regardless, head on over to bit.ly slash Kink Academy anyway, because they have a ton of free stuff that you can access right now. And I have one big favor. If you hadn't heard, I've been nominated for X-Business Sexpert of the Year again, and that is a big deal. And of course, I'd love your vote. Voting is super duper easy. You don't have to register. You don't have to jump through hoops, nothing. Go to the website. The link is in the show notes, or you can find it if you go to direct.me, D-I-R-E-C-T dot M-E slash Sunny Megatron. It just pops right up. And you can vote once a day. You can vote on multiple devices, which is pretty damn cool. So I would love it if you gave me a vote or five. And lastly, it's the holidays. American fuckers, if you've been with us through the years, you know what happens this time of year during the holidays, our winter hiatus. So this is our last episode of the year. We'll be back 
on air in January, the last week in January is when we'll be back. And during that time, I'm going to be keeping myself really damn busy working on my book, Customizable Kink, A Strategic Guide to Erotic Play. Now, if you follow me on social media, you know that I've been having health issues this year. You know, nothing terrible. I'm not dying. Don't worry. It's, you know, more of a pain in the ass than anything. Um, But I've been spending a lot of this year trying to get to the bottom of what exactly is going on with me. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time with really bad fatigue and brain fog, you know, basically things that I didn't bank on experiencing this year and things that are not conducive to writing a book. So I've just been trying to get from day to day to day with not a lot of spoons the last few months. So I'm a lot further behind on my book writing than I would like to be. So fingers crossed that over this holiday, I get a ton of work done on the book during our time off air and that you'll have it in your hands sometime next year. I'm so excited. I can't wait. And Ken and I wish you the happiest of new years. And we hope that you get some downtime in the coming weeks and you know, time to spend with people that you care about to just chill out, have some self-care, do nothing. Don't be productive. Just relax. We appreciate each and every one of you American fuckers so damn much. You are the reason that we enjoy doing what we do. And happy 2022 to all of you. Okay, these balls are clean. Here is more of me. Are you ready to freestyle American fuckers? I am. I am very curious to see where my stream of consciousness is going to take us. Just like last time, I have a whole list of things that I could talk about, but I think what's going to happen is, just like last time, I'll get through two or three of them, and then my brain will take the wheel and we'll just bing, bang, boom, and uh, improv it, freestyle it. We'll see. We'll see where we go. It's a little weird, I gotta say, talking to myself in front of the microphone, but you know, we'll get into it. So where I wanted to start was with some basic kink terminology. As an educator, I take for granted, and I think a lot of us who are more experienced in kink or BDSM also take this for granted, that we know a lot of the terminology, we know the nuances, why certain people use certain words when, and we also know that what words people use depend on context, on the region that they live in, the type of kink that they were around when they came up kinky. We know all that. But as a new person, when you're starting to learn about kink, hearing all these terms, sometimes you have these basic where you think are basic questions, but they're really important foundational questions that the rest of us gloss over. So let's do some terminology. When you hear people talk about kink, People call it all sorts of different things. You know, they'll call it BDSM, fetish, uh, DS, bondage play, SM or SM, BD, uh, power exchange. Like, what are all these things? Are they the same? Are they different? How are people using them? It can be confusing. And for a lot of reasons. One of those reasons is social media and censorship. But I'll get there. I'll get there. So I also get 
a similar question from vanilla folks or kink curious folks who are like, how do I know what I'm doing is kinky? Like, where do we cross the line between being kinky and being vanilla? So that also plays into all of these definitions. And let's start there. Let's start with what is kink? On the internet and in local kink communities, you will hear the terms kink and BDSM used pretty much interchangeably. And when they're used on the fly socially, they usually are meant that way. But there's one thing I want you to keep in your mind. Always ask, what do you mean by that? What's the definition of that thing to you? Because all of us use these words, not just these words, but lots of words differently. So by technical definition, a kink is something that turns you on that falls outside of the sexual norm. And when we say turns you on, yeah, the assumption is that's sexually, you know, the tingles in your pants, you get a hard on, you get wet, whatever. However, in kink, sometimes turns you on is the brain tingles. You get that rush from the power play or from the endorphins and, you know, all of the physiological things that are happening to your nervous system and your body chemicals. So, yeah, even though turns you on is usually sexual, it's not always sexual. But kink, something that turns you on that falls outside of the sexual norm. As if turns you on wasn't confusing enough, so is sexual norm. Because that's subjective. What you personally consider the sexual norm is based on the cultural and the social groups that shaped your identity and the thoughts you have about the world that you live in. So those from very conservative backgrounds might consider a blowjob to be so kinky. And other folks might be like, that's nothing. Like, that's no big deal. Even electrocuting my nipples is like an every Tuesday afternoon thing. So yeah, your definition of what's kinky is very subjective based on your own personal frame of reference. Now, as I said, in casual language, we tend to use the word kink and BDSM interchangeably, even though they aren't. There's a lot of things that can fall under the largest umbrella of these alternative sexual expressions, uh, which is kink. A lot of things that can fall under kink that are not BDSM. But why do we use them interchangeably? Well, The term BDSM, honestly, is kind of scary to some folks. It sounds like really serious and there's a lot of stigma attached to it and you think you have to be really aggressive and really blah, blah, blah. And none of that stuff is actually true. But because of our preconceived notions, the word BDSM has some, some scary weight to it. And because of that, the term BDSM more and more is being banned or suppressed on social media. If you go to any social media and you put BDSM as a hashtag, it's a banned hashtag. It will not pop up. Uh, On TikTok, if I put the word BDSM, I I put up once, um, I was talking about the podcast that week and put up a, a TikTok about it. And 
in the title of that particular episode was the term BDSM, and I flashed a sticker of the episode art on my video, my video got taken down immediately because it had BDSM in it. When I put BDSM on social media, I use a B emoji, a capital D, a dollar sign, and then there's another emoji that's a circle with an M in it. That's how bad it is on social media with the censorship and the suppression of that word alone. So for that reason, oftentimes, people that would normally call what we do BDSM call it kink. It's just, you know, our culture is changing because we're becoming accustomed to censoring ourselves on social media. So that bleeds over into censoring ourselves everywhere. And kink has become interchangeable with BDSM, even though technically, kink is a lot more than just BDSM. It is really any individual unconventional turn on, whether that falls into the umbrella of BDSM or not. So then what's BDSM? Technically, it stands for bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, and sadomasochism. That's sort of the standard definition. But it really doesn't tell us much. When we hear, oh, bondage and discipline, oh, dominance and submission, sadomasochism, it sounds kind of serious and scary, just like the acronym BDSM, like, oh, do we have to be all serious and hurt each other? Do we have to do drugs and wear leather? What's going on? I personally don't like that definition of BDSM because it is a descriptor of some of the tools we use to be kinky or to a, achieve a state of kinkiness, but it does nothing to explain how we use those tools, why we use those tools. There's absolutely no context. My personal alternate definition of BDSM that I use in my teaching is the consensual exploration of non-traditional adult play that often includes things like intense sensation, role play, eroticization and subversion of authority and social hierarchies, fetish or atypical sensory stimuli, and or shifting consciousness, which is subspace or dom space. One of the complaints I had heard about the acronym, you know, bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, yada, yada, uh, definition of BDSM is that it leaves some stuff out. It leaves fetish play out. And we definitely consider fetishist a part of the BDSM community. It leaves some role players out, like people who are littles or do pet play that maybe don't incorporate any other elements of that BDSM acronym in their play who are still considered part of the BDSM community and under the BDSM umbrella, umbrella, but none of those letters apply to them. And also that definition said nothing about consent and that's what separates BDSM from abuse. And that is a huge point of stigma from the default world. That's why they think we're all on drugs and we don't know what we're doing. They don't know about the consent part. So I had to stick that in my definition. Really, when you break down even my definition further, we are using physical and or psychological stimuli to cause a physiological change within our mind-body connection. 
we are going into subspace, which, you know, our endorphins and our endocannabinoids and oxytocin and, and dopamine and serotonin and all sorts of things happen. And we're basically putting ourselves on a physiological roller coaster ride that we are carefully engineering to achieve a certain feeling. And sometimes we do that through physical sensory stimuli, which, you know, is the B and the the SM. Sometimes we do that through psychological stimuli or positive consensual manipulation, which could be the, the discipline part, the DS part in the BDSM acronym. And we're doing that to have fun. Just like I talked about in the last freestyle episode, just like we are going on a roller coaster and scaring the pants off of ourselves or doing ghost pepper challenges or doing all these really wacky things just because it's fun and it feels good and it gives us a little bit of a high, it it gets our adrenaline going, it makes us go woohoo, it gives us an opportunity to play. And those are all the things that it does for us personally. Then add the other person to the scenario, because most of the time we are doing kink with a partner, although solo kink is totally possible. Don't poo-poo solo kink. But when we're doing kink with a partner, we are fostering intimacy. We are cultivating a safe space to be vulnerable with each other, to learn about each other. We're fostering connectedness. I mean, there's been scientific studies on this stuff. So we're getting all those benefits solo within ourselves, and then all these other benefits that help us connect to our partner. That's what BDSM is. And Midori's definition, you know, I love Midori. She has been on American Sex Podcast many, many, many times. Her definition of BDSM just hits me right in my heart. It's childlike play with adult sexual privilege and really cool toys. And that's exactly what we're doing in BDSM. One other word that is often used interchangeably with kink and BDSM is fetish. You know, they say we're part of the fetish community. We go to fetish parties. Uh, The clothing we wear is fetish wear. We're part of the fetish lifestyle. And again, how this word happens to be used in a particular situation versus its textbook actual meaning is all about context. So by textbook definition, a fetish is something that turns you on that isn't normally a sexual thing. And again, caveat for turns you on could be pants tingles or brain tingles or both. But unlike a kink, your sexual connection to this thing is significantly stronger than average. And in its most extreme form, a person with a fetish can't be sexually satisfied or reach orgasm or brain tingle satisfied without the object of their fetish being involved. One of the most common fetishes, hands down, study after study proves this, is foot fetish. But anything could be fetishized. And oftentimes they are inanimate objects or things that aren't part of the human body. So like leather, latex, uh, bicycles, Victorian needlepoint chairs, your wristwatches, eyebrows, even the Eiffel Tower. I'm not kidding. Carnival rides. Watch the documentary Married to the Eiffel Tower. It was came out in like 2008, 2009. I think it's on YouTube. 
I'm telling you, anything can be a fetish. In the mental health field, fetishes are referred to as paraphilias. And at one point, paraphilias were pathologized, meaning like if you had a paraphilia, the experts thought there was something majorly wrong with you that needed to be fixed. You needed to take pills. You needed to, you know, what, what did they say now? Go on a grippy sock vacation, right? Um, but thankfully, having a fetish is no longer considered abnormal according to the mental health field, according to the DSM-5, which is the fifth version of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. And it's used that's used as a diagnostic tool in the U.S. by mental health professionals. So the exception to this when it comes to mental health is if a person's preoccupation with their fetish is so out of control and uncontrollable that it negatively impacts their health, their relationships, their job, etc. But even vanilla sexual preoccupation or preoccupation with things that aren't even sexual to this extreme degree could be considered falling into the territory of a compulsive disorder from a mental health perspective. And, you know, that's beyond my scope. But point being, if you have a fetish, all that mental health stigma you might have heard, throw it out the window. You are perfectly normal. I hate the word normal. You're perfectly average or you're just as weird as all of us. Welcome to the club. We've been waiting for you. And kinks and fetishes are things that we have. They are desires, things about our personality that just are. We can't explain why. That's just what turns us on. Most people have kinks, probably a number of them. It's pretty common. Fetishes aren't as common. However, they're absolutely not abnormal either. And on the flip side, the term BDSM, whether it's the bondage, discipline, domination, submission, sadomasochism definition, or my longer definition, that describes what we do, the specific play styles, maybe even the implements we use, how we go about it, and why we do it. So again, you're probably going to hear out in the world, people use the terms kink, fetish, BDSM, etc. interchangeably, but know that in some contexts when they're used, they have a very specific meaning. My stream of consciousness is fully kicked in, and I'm going to move on next to tackle a topic that's a big one that I've done a lot of thinking about that I don't necessarily have all the answers for, but it's something that I'm concentrating on in my work right now. So people ask all the time, and they have fights about it, they have very strong opinions. Is kink a sexual orientation? Mm, I think about this a lot. And my answer is, I cannot tell you yes, I cannot tell you no, because I firmly believe we are absolutely asking the wrong question and completely missing the mark. I'll tell you what I mean by that. We as a society have a really poor understanding of what sexual orientation is. And I'm talking right now just like your average person, right? We know, those of us who are sex positive or taking a couple gender studies courses in college or whatever, we know that, yes, there's 
you know, our sexual attraction orientation. There's our romantic orientation that also ties in with our gender identity, etc. It's not as simple as who are you attracted to, dudes or chicks? Like, you know, we're way past that. Oftentimes when we talk about sexual orientation, even though on some level we know like sexual orientation is complex and it's made up of all of these things, we go back to like, do you like dudes or chicks kind of mentality? And that's not where we need to be. We said in the last episode, we talked about how kink is not at its core about sex. Sex is one of the tools that we can use, an optional tool we can use in our kink. And some of us, we have sex very strongly tied with our kink as like the center of our scenes or our dynamics. Others of us do not mix our sex and kink, or we might use sex as a come down or an aftercare, a bonding sort of thing, but it isn't center stage when it comes to the kink action. So right there, by default, if we're asking, is kink a sexual orientation, you can see why we're already asking the wrong question, right? But I want to dive a little bit deeper. Academics and professionals that concentrate on gender and identity now know that it's a lot more complex than just what is your orientation? And there's something called GSRD, which is Gender, Sexuality, and Relationship Diversity. So there's a bunch of different categories and orientations, and we can fall in different places on these individual spectrums. Now, there's a great book that won the, um, ASECT Book Award this past year. It's called The Leather Couch, Clinical Practice with Kinky Clients. And in there, the author has broken out uh, GSRD to a, a wheel, like a wheel with, I think it's nine, nine pie pieces. And those are your sex, your gender, your gender expression, your um, socio-sexual orientation. So that's like your relationship orientation, you know, your monogamous, your polyamorous, etc. Your romantic orientation, your aromantic or biromantic, heteroromantic, etc. And your sexual orientation. I like that. And three of those things have to do with kink orientation. And I think we're on to something, but I also want to take it further. So we've got the fetish engagement from, you know, never, I never do fetish stuff to I do fetish stuff all the time. Your sensory expression, like are you a, a masochist, a sadist, et cetera, none of that. And your power expression. Do you like to dom? Do you like to sub, et cetera? So like I said, with these, I think we're getting somewhere, but I think we can break it down even further. Of course, if we are people that intertwine sex with our kink or that have relationship dynamics that spill over with our default world dynamics, our relationship orientation, our sexual orientation, even our gender identity, gender expression, sex, all of those things may come into play when it comes to our kink orientation to one degree or another, depending on the person and the situation. But fetish, sensory, and power orientations directly have to do with kink. But again, let's go back to what kink is. What are we doing 
when we are practicing kink. Very similar things to what we're doing when we're practicing benign masochism. Again, from our last freestyle episode, when we're riding the roller coasters and eating the ghost peppers and and running the marathons and floating in the sensory deprivation float tanks, right? So some of the other things that, that we're seeking play. There's a whole neuroscience of play and many reasons why we benefit from play. So that's something that we're getting from kink. There's the sensory seeking aspect, the physical sensations. There is the partnership aspect. It is a form of bonding and intimacy. And when we look at things like our power orientation, sure, we can say we're dom or we're sub or whatnot, but can we break that down even further into types of power or motivations or what we want that power to do? We can also think of a spectrum of maybe creativity or risk-taking. You know, oftentimes in kink, we're teasing our threat responses like fight, flight, freeze. Again, same thing we're doing when we're riding the roller coaster or visiting the haunted house, but we're doing it in that safe container of play. But there's something there that we're playing with those physiological responses and how our nervous system responds to those things. And we're doing it for recreation. And also, we might measure our orientations towards the various headspaces? Do we want to be in a more creative state of flow, hyper-focus, dom-type headspace? Or do we want to be in more of a floaty-la-la subspace kind of headspace? How does that play into our power orientation of wanting to be dominant and submissive? So you can see it's really complicated. Like, I just pulled those things out of my ass. If I really sat down and thought about it and made a framework, it can get real complex. So again, going back to the question, is kink a sexual orientation? Hey, that's absolutely 100% the wrong question. Kink is its own kink orientation. And I believe we have not figured out completely what the subcategories of a kink orientation may entail. But I do want to throw in something that for some people who tie their sex and how turned on they get to kink, that could also be a category on measuring your kink orientation scale. You know, there are some folks that will get way more turned on if they're watching a porn that has consensual violence, BDSM type imagery, rough sex, as opposed to eh, just sweet, sensual, doesn't do it for me. So is that where kink orientation and sexual orientation can potentially cross wires? Sure but it doesn't always. So it's really complex. Uh, Those are my thoughts. 
I'll get back to me in a year when I've parsed this out. But yeah, is kink a sexual orientation? Can't answer it because it's the wrong question because we just don't know enough academically about sexuality and definitely about kink orientation to map that one out yet. So after that subject, my stream of consciousness is now bringing me to online BDSM tests. And y'all are going to hate me for this one. There's a few different ones online. I think the most popular is bdsmtest.org. There's another one or two that are kind of getting popular. I don't remember them offhand, but I'll, I'll find the links. I'll put them in the show notes. Um, I know people love these BDSM tests. And for some people, they're amazing. These online quizzes are great for people who are maybe new to BDSM and they want some general categories because they don't know where to begin. And taking this online assessment will give them some terms to Google. You're like, ooh, what's primal play? I've never heard of that. Let's Google it and check it out. That's great. It's also great for folks that their style of kink is very similar to the style of kink depicted on these online tests, and that tends to fall along the stereotypes. But on the flip side of that, that's how a lot of these tests can really miss the mark and be othering and even discriminatory for others. Personal story. When I first got into kink, I saw the stereotypes out there. My local community was very traditional, cis-het leather, master-slave kind of community. And I was like, whoa, okay, I got into kink because I felt like I didn't fit into the preconceived boxes that society told me I was supposed to fit into when it came to identity and eroticism and sex and just creative play. And I assume kink would be one of those places where I could be me. But then when I found kink, I found just new boxes that I had to fit into. And they just were not my jam. And that's not to poo-poo traditionalist kink or master-slave, cishet dynamics. Those are great for some people if that's their choice. It's just not for me. On the same token, these online quizzes are very traditionalist. They tie sex to kink. There is no room for platonic kink. There is no room for asexuality. For instance, the uh, BDSMtest.org. I just pulled it up a minute ago to see, like, all right. In the beginning, it asks for your sexual orientation. Asexual is not even a selection. Here, on the first page of questions... Second question is, I like receiving pain during sex and BDSM and seeing the results of it, marks, bruises, etc. afterwards. I find when I take a test like this, it's like, okay, I like receiving pain, but not during sex, but during BDSM. But also, I like receiving pain as a dominant. I like to bottom as a dominant. And the test doesn't have room for that either. So that's where it can miss the mark. 
If you're looking for BDSM as a place to customize your experience and let your creativity break out of the boxes, these BDSM tests give you the impression that that's not the way it works. I usually tell folks, take these tests with a grain of salt, almost as if you are taking a, you know, what cheese are you quiz on BuzzFeed or reading your horoscope. I very much liken these tests to like kinky horoscopes, like, okay, some things will be on the mark, but some things may completely miss. So take from these tests what benefits you. But if something's like that does not fit at all, I don't get that. Just let it go. It's okay. It doesn't mean you're a certain way or you can only be a certain way or that you don't have options. Take from this test what benefits you and leave the rest. These online tests are definitely not the end all be all. That was kind of a bummer, wasn't it? I kind of feel like I'm um, Adam ruins everything, like Sonny ruins kink. Oh, your BDSM tests suck. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. But since I'm on a roll and I'm ruining shit, why don't I ruin your clitoris next? Not like that, which sounds either horrible or like a really good kink scene, but that's not what I mean. This isn't necessarily a kink thing, it's just about genitals, but since the vast majority of us have genitals, and a lot of us use them when we do kink, it kind of goes along with the theme. It is the most wonderful time of the year, but you don't want to spend hours online researching and shopping for the best lube, sex toys, and accessories, do you? Well, luckily, Like a Kitten has done the work for you and curated a box full of awesome products. Like a Kitten creates sexy seasonal gift boxes with all of your erotic essentials, from tempting lubes to gold handcuffs, all shipped discreetly to your door in one amazing box. Their Naughty or Nice box is perfect for the couple looking to heat things up this winter. It comes with a Christmas cracker, aka a mini vibe and cock ring, a smooth water-based lube, a Naughty or Nice game set, massage oil candles and matches, gold handcuffs, a satin robe, kissable diamond dust, crystal breast pasties, toy cleanser, and a Screaming O panty vibe. And you know I love the Screaming O panty vibe. It comes with a remote control disguised as a finger ring that a partner can wear and use to control the vibe whenever, even discreetly in public. Like a Kitten also has a holiday bestie box designed for your best friend. How great would you feel if a friend thought about your pleasure and got you a sweet box, complete with a clit stimulator and tingly lip balm? And these boxes are a steal. The Naughty or Nice box is $99 and comes with 11 amazing products. And the Holiday Bestie box is only $29.95. Right now, Like a Kitten is offering American Sex Podcast listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash sunny, S-U-N-N-Y, or enter the code sunny at checkout. Just go to likeakitten.com slash sunny or use the code sunny to get 20% off these incredible boxes. Likeakitten.com slash sunny and that link is in this episode's description. 
Still don't know what to get as a gift or a stocking stuffer? Well, our sponsor Manscaped has the tools to guarantee you will win this year's stocking stuffer competition. And lucky for you, you're going to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code SUNNY. Manscaped's best-selling product is the Performance Package 4.0, which is at the top of everybody's wish list this year. Inside, you'll find their lawnmower body trimmer and the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, plus their famous liquid formulations, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Oh yes, and there is more too. Two free gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Still need some more stocking stuffers? Well, here's our picks. Number one, the Manscaped brand new two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Number two, the Manscaped cologne infused body wash. Number three, Shears 2.0 luxury four-piece nail kit. Number four, Crop Mops ball wipes, you know, the go-to solution for those stanky balls. And number five, Manscaped signature cologne. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, and paraben-free too. Hurry on to manscaped.com so you can make sure these arrive before the big day and get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y. That's 20% off and free shipping at M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com with the code SUNNY. So you've heard, I'm sure, on the internet, people say, oh, Clitorises have 8,000 nerve endings and penises only have 4,000 nerve endings. And clitorises are so much better because we have so many nerve endings. And you will hear sex educators say this. It's in books. Like it seems really well documented. Well, guess what? This is another one of those internet informational games of telephone, one of those circular references, kind of like we talked about in the last kink freestyle episode, where the definition of CNC, consensual non-consent, was wildly incorrect, dangerously incorrect, but that misinformation spread so far that pretty much everyone in the universe has the wrong definition. Same thing with nerve endings in the clitoris. So it turns out where the, oh, the clit has 8,000 nerve endings and the penis only has 4,000 nerve endings thing came from was a study in the 1970s on cow and goat genitalia. Think about that. Imagine if we based human medical knowledge about our digestive system on what was studied and found out about cows and goats in the 1970s. We'd all be walking around talking about our four superior stomachs, and we'd be totally wrong. The fact of the matter is, scientifically, we have no idea how many nerve endings are in the human clitoris and the human penis. They could be exactly the same. They could be wildly different. We don't know. We just know our bodies aren't the same as cows and goats. But you also might be saying, but, 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 come on. Like, I've played with all kinds of genitals, and I can tell the clitorises are way more sensitive than the heads of penises, so there's got to be something to it, right? 
Well, not necessarily. There's another potential explanation for that. In utero, in our first few weeks of development, everybody's genitals, no matter their biological sex, look exactly the same. And they look like vaginas, vulvas, clitorises, all of us. So that whole like, you know, that just pisses me off because the whole biblical women were made from the rib of Adam. No, all your penises were made from our clitorises. Give us some credit. Anyway, I digress. So let's say that the head of the penis and the clitoris, the clitoral glands, has the same exact amount of nerve endings. Let's just say it's 4,000, right? Well, a clitoris is very small. For people who are going to be born with penises in the fetal development, the vagina fuses together, it makes the penis, it grows larger. So now you have 4,000 nerve endings in something that's maybe the size of a, a golf ball or a ping pong ball in something that was the size of a kidney bean. So yeah, if you have the same amount of nerves concentrated in a smaller spot, it's going to be more sensitive. So... I hate to break it to you because I have a clitoris too. And I really liked feeling superior in the fact that, you know, we have twice as many nerve endings. It kind of felt good to be on top for something. However, if you want to channel that energy into, hey, everybody started with vaginas. So, you know, if that'll make you feel better, go for it. So now I would like to flip back to some terminology. and. A bit of what I'm about to talk about, I actually just recently learned. So let's talk about littles. In the kink community, those are age players, people that pretend to be an age that's younger, a child. There's also middles, those that pretend to be anywhere from middle school to high school age. Now, this is all consensual. Some people do this play in a sexual manner. Some people strictly do it non-sexually. And I'm not going to get into what littles are, aren't, etc. We've done that a lot. I'm going to direct you to episodes 115, 144, 111, and 132 all about age play, and also the episode with Melina Williams, episode 170 about taboo play. Littles are part of the kink community. If you go to a convention, there's oftentimes a littles playroom with stuffed animals and Nilla wafers and Kool-Aid and coloring and that sort of thing. There's a little bit of debate in the kink community itself about littles, especially surrounding is sexual play uh, when you are an age player okay? Most of the kink community is okay with it, but there is still a little bit of stigma still within the kink community itself. But what I didn't really realize the depth of until quite recently 
is there are other communities that also use the same terminology. And that's where things get a bit confusing. Now, if you're part of the kink community, you may hear discussions about age play, breaking it down into two main categories. There's age role play. You are role playing a certain age. You are obviously still as an adult. Maybe you're wearing a onesie. Maybe you're an adult baby. Maybe you're a middle and you're playing video games and skateboarding, but you're still a fully consenting, full-grown adult. And then we'll often hear about age regression. Now, this originally came from the mental health community. There are some folks that age regress voluntarily, meaning they really put themselves in the mind of a child that age. And this was originally used in therapy sessions and whatnot. And there are also folks that involuntarily age regress. And oftentimes in the kink community, you'll hear that distinction made. If somebody is an age regressor and they are truly in the mind of a child, well, yeah, that does mess with consent and it's a little, you know, and those are mental health terms. Oftentimes it's a coping mechanism uh, due to PTSD or some other heavy trauma-related things. But generally, again, in the kink community, age play, littles play is a role play. And we often call the headspace that littles go into as little space. And this terminology has been around for decades upon decades. Uh, but recently, and I hear this periodically, this will come up on social media, there will be folks that are, I can't believe that you are sexualizing littles. This is disgusting. This is how could you do that? That this kind of play isn't sexual. And a lot of kink folks are like, what? You know, is it your stigma? Because a lot of people, you know, there are some people that are squicked out by age play, and you're squicked out by what you're squicked out by. You know, we all have different kinks. However, if that's something that you don't want to do, you know, usually the rule of thumb is your kink is not my kink, but your kink's okay. It's kind of mind your own business. Nobody's asking you to play this way. This is the way I'm choosing to play in the privacy of my own home. And you can't really tell me what to do. And it's usually left at that. But this argument just keeps coming up and keeps coming up. Now, as an educator, I hear about lots of different things and lots of different communities, et cetera. And I had known for a long time that there were a segment of people that would do what they call littles play that was more along the lines of age regression. It's non-sexual and it's for, you know, coping, for exploring that mental state for mental health purposes, all sorts of different things. I knew these people existed, but what I didn't realize until recently was how large their community actually was. And this is where we run into a legitimate problem. Because, you know, I'm going along the internet, I see something about age play, or about being in little space, or somebody's a little. And I assume that they're part of the kink community, maybe they're not sexual players, it doesn't mean they incorporate sex. But I think, well, at least they're kink friendly, because littles are part of the kink community, right? Well, as a kinkster, this is something that you should be aware of. 
No, there's a whole nother community of age players. They call themselves little. They go into little space, but they age regress and it's non-sexual. And there are even minors that do this. It's popular amongst teens and amongst Gen Zers, and it is not a kink. Who came first? You know, the chicken or the egg? Well, the kinksters, yeah, they came first. They invented the terms little space and little, etc. But this newer group of people have adopted that same terminology and used it for play that, yeah, a lot of people who are underage do. And that's perfectly fine. It's non-sexual play. However, when we're using the same hashtags on the internet or our communities bump up against each other, there's a lot of misunderstandings. And a lot of these folks are like, I can't, I'm always being sexualized. People assume that when I'm a little, it's a kink and it is not, and I am tired of it. And that statement right there makes kinksters hackles go up. You know, we're so tired of the mainstream community thinking that everything we do is about perverted sex. You know, immediately our brain goes, wait a minute, not everything we do is about sex. There are asexual people in the kink community and stop stigmatizing us and calling us perverts because we do this. And yeah, all that's true, but that just detracts from the the point and gets us all into an argument. What both groups don't realize is that each other exists and we use the same terminology. Now, a lot of folks from the, the newer Tumblr era, littles, little space, age regression community is what they call themselves. They popped up probably in the mid-teens or so, like through Tumblr and those sorts of websites. And yes, Kink has been using the terminology littles and little space since at least the 90s. And I'm, I'm going by what I'm hearing other folks say. I still have yet to sit down and do my own research to see if I could figure out the earliest time that we see documented in the kink community, the terms little and little space. But we know, you know, kink community predates the age regress community by at least 15, if not 20 years. So know this, before you approach somebody on the internet, before you follow a hashtag about age play, thinking that they're going to be kinksters, or before you get into an argument with somebody saying, that's not what a little is, why are you kink shaming? know that there are two different communities. And oftentimes, the younger, newer age regression community doesn't realize that their terminology were kink terms first. They're younger. A lot of them weren't alive in the 90s. So be kind of gentle if someone says, well, those are our words and you're, nah. well, not really, but we can share them. And I'm sure there are folks in the kink community that didn't know, and maybe they did sexualize, and maybe they did assume. And yeah, maybe those people were being creepers, or maybe they just didn't know. They just assumed, well, of course, if you're a little, you're in the kink community. They weren't trying to be creepy. They weren't trying to sexualize somebody who didn't want to be sexualized or assume something's a kink that wasn't. They just didn't know. So now you know. 
if you come across that and it seems like you aren't on the same page with somebody when it comes to age play, find out, well, are you part of the age regression community or are you part of the kink community? Because that can save a lot of heartache, a lot of arguments, and foster a lot of understanding. So the magic eight ball in my brain is like, whoa, what do we talk about next? And I think I want to stick with terminology. This is a good one. You may have heard that the cornerstone of kink, the tenant that we all live by, is safe, sane, and consensual. And oftentimes, a lot of people go, oh, yes, yes. But then sometimes there's somebody in the corner that goes, no, not at all. I am so sorry, but we've thrown SSC in the garbage. Now it's rack, risk-aware consensual kink, or prick, personal responsibility, informed consensual kink. So what's the deal? And then sometimes you'll hear Folks say, well, lighter kind of play is SSC play, but once you're doing edge play and some heavier, riskier sort of stuff, it's rack play. So, all right, here's the story. And before I get into it, though, I'm going to caveat myself. Is what I'm about to tell you 100% right? The only way, the new rule that everyone must abide by. Well, no, because there is no one true way in kink. When it comes to BDSM theory, what I'm about to say is mm, the most widely adopted, most updated thinking on this, but doesn't mean I'm right. And it also doesn't mean you're wrong, because all of this stuff is kind of squishy and subjective. So just keep that caveat in mind as we're moving forward. Generally, the thought is SSC, safe, sane, and consensual, no longer serves the kink community. And it can even be harmful in some respects. And let me break down why. Technology is constantly being updated, and I'm not talking just phones, gaming consoles, or computers. I mean pleasure products, too. If the devices in your nightstand have been there a while, it might just be time for an upgrade. Satisfier makes beautiful vibrators and air pulse stimulators with cutting-edge technology, and they're at incredibly affordable prices. Their new line of products is Bluetooth-enabled and pairs with their Satisfier Connect app, so you can connect your device to your Android, Apple, or iWatch. You can turn your phone into a remote control that you can use yourself, or you can give access to your device to a partner. And that partner doesn't have to be in the same room either. They could be across town or across the globe. Satisfier's newest products give a ton of variety. There's the sexy secret panty vibe for discreet solo fun. My favorite, the toe curling curvy 2 plus air pulse stimulator with vibration 2, or a variety of others. C-rings, bullets, wands, dual stimulators, plugs, and more. And they're all app controlled. 
Satisfier is offering American Sex Podcast lucky listeners 30% off any Satisfier when you go to Satisfier.com and enter the code SUNNY30 at checkout. That's S-U-N-N-Y 3-0. Again, if you're looking for one of those awesome new devices, go to S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com and use the code SUNNY30 for 30% off. Sometimes doing less can lead to so much more. Dipsy Stories believes in less analyzing and more feeling your feelings, less stressing and more easing into things, less scrolling and more savoring the moment, less pressure and more pleasure. Dipsy Stories is an app full of sexy audio stories, and now they even have brand new written stories too. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, Dipsy helps bring the stories to life anytime, anywhere. Close your eyes and let yourself get lost in a world where only really good things happen and pleasure is your only priority. Explore your fantasies in a safe, shame-free way. There's hundreds of stories to choose from and they release new content every week, so there's always more to explore. And they have wellness sessions to help you wind down and explore and sleep sessions to help you drift off. For listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny, that's S-U-N-N-Y, 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash sunny. That's dipsystories.com slash sunny. SSC, safe, sane, and consensual became a catchphrase in the 80s. And you have to think back to history. What was going on then? Well, this was in the 1980s, during the height of the AIDS crisis, when what was the gay male leather community was opening its arms to other people, you know, first came the lesbian and queer women who were a lot of the caretakers for the people who were dying of AIDS. And this is when the BDSM community, as we know it now, the aka pansexual community that's welcoming to people of all different sexual orientations, etc. And that culture really started to take shape. And it also started to get a bit of mainstream attention. And as this influx of people came into the community, and as more people outside of the community started hearing about it, They needed a way to let people know, like, this isn't some non-consensual free-for-all. We are doing what we're doing very consciously, with intention. There are rules. So, safe, sane, and consensual was the perfect way to sum that up. If you're an old fart like me, you'll remember the TV commercials in the 80s. They'd say, have a safe and sane. Fourth of July, and they'd be like, don't blow up your fingers with fireworks or basically the, the public service announcements. And the folks who came up with the phrase safe, sane and consensual said they took it from those commercials. They added consensual onto the safe and sane because at that time, it was a popular catchphrase. People knew what it meant. 
and with consensual tacked on to the end of it, it served its purpose at the time. Now, that's really important when we are looking at rules in the kink community that may need updating, that some people are like, you know what, that just doesn't serve us. So there are three things that I usually analyze. One, what need did that rule or that phrase serve when it was invented? And then how has uh, the evolution of the community, of that need, of how we play, how we understand words, all of those things, how has that now changed that rule or that meaning to not quite fit that need or solve that problem as well as it did in the past? And then the third thing, how can we change or adapt that rule or that tenant, or in this case, SSC, to serve us now and to address those changes or that evolution? So we went over number one, you know, it served its purpose at the time. Hey, everyone, we're not doing this stuff recklessly. We are safe, sane, and consensual. And it let new people coming into the community know this isn't a free-for-all for abusers, and it let people outside of the community watching and criticizing and stigmatizing know that, hey, these people have a plan, like they know what they're doing, and they have rules, and that was good, and it served its purpose at the time. But now some of the criticisms of safe, sane, and consensual is, well, safe, nothing we do in kink is safe. Hell, nothing we do in life is safe. We could walk outside our door and a a piano could fall on our heads, right? And also, when new people are coming into the kink community or learning to do kink, even if they're not part of a community, we don't want them to falsely assume, oh, everything you're doing is perfectly safe, because it's not. Even simple rope bondage, you could get nerve damage if you don't know exactly what you're doing. So we don't want to give that impression that you don't have to be diligent about the skills you know about safety, etc. So that's the problem with safe. Sane. <sighs> Our understanding about mental health and mental health stigma has come leaps and bounds since the 1990s. And a lot of folks say, wait, that's kind of ableist. Are you saying that you have to be sane to practice kink? I mean, what is sane? You know, hey, maybe you have uh, depressive issues. Maybe you have PTSD. Maybe you're neurodivergent, you're autistic, or you have ADHD. Maybe you have BPD. Uh, Lots of people have mental health issues. Does that mean they're not sane and they can't do kink. That's kind of fucked up. So yeah, by today's standards, sane is pretty ableist. But consensual, that's the one that stands the test of time. Kink is not kink without consent. And that's our cornerstone. So since people have come up with risk-aware consensual kink, known as RAC, or PRIC, Personal Responsibility Informed Consensual Kink, people use those two terms sort of interchangeably 
rack is definitely the most popular. So here comes the question, okay, is simple, easy play, safe, state, and consensual, and rack is only edge play and really serious stuff? Well, I tend to prescribe to the notion that safe, sane, and consensual is just done. All of the play that we do in kink, even the easy, simple stuff is rack play. But what does rack really mean? Risk aware. Well, that means that you know that what we do isn't inherently safe. There is always risks in everything we do. Maybe, you know, lighter play has less risks and more risky edge play has more risks. But we, the people in the scene or the people playing, whether that's two people, four people or whatever, need to be fully informed and aware of what we're doing and assume those risks and say, okay, that's something I'm willing to do. So that's where the risk aware comes from. And then will consensual, again, it's the classic black dress of kink. It's always in style. And well, kink is the last letter. And the acronym PRICK, very similar. It's personal responsibility informed consensual kink. So that acronym just zeroes it in a little bit more that it is your personal responsibility to make sure that you are well-versed in the risks or the technical skill that you're performing, whatever it is. It's your responsibility to make sure that you have all of that covered and that you feel comfortable that the other people you're playing with have all of that covered too. And informed, that lends itself to informed consent. Everyone is fully aware of everything. And well, consensual kink. Are those the best acronyms in the world? And are we going to stick with them forever? Mm, Probably not. There's going to be a time when those acronyms won't serve us any longer either, just like SSC. They were good at the time, they served us well, and we appreciate them, but we move on to something else that's updated for the times. But the thing is, with all of these definitions or acronyms or rules, the spirit of what those things are trying to say or convey are the same, right? That we need to know what we're doing. We need to act with consent and integrity and all of those things. We're just using slightly different words or points of view to convey that same spirit. And personally, I still think there's a lot missing from the consent conversation. If we only use rack or prick or even SSC as our consent cornerstone, I look at it as kind of a a trickle down of a few consent acronyms. The first starting with FRIES, with F-R-I-E-S, like the French fries. It was a acronym coined by Planned Parenthood, and it applies across the board to kink, to, to everything, to vanilla sex. It's consent is F, freely given, R, reversible, I, informed, E, enthusiastic, which I'm not really a fan of because... 
enthusiasm is really hard to gauge and it is can be ableist in some situations. So I have changed my E to evident. You have to see some evidence of that willingness to consent and S specific. And of course, you know, rack and prick and SSC come in there too. But personally, I was like, there's still something missing. So in in my upcoming book that I'm working on, I have another consent acronym that is more for introspection to learn or to help you recognize factors in your consent situation that may skew your consent, that may skew your boundary setting, or the way you navigate rejection or revoked consent. And that acronym is POSSUM, not O-P-O-P. It's P-A-S-S-M. It's phonetically POSSUM. And it's a whole thing. It'll be in the book. But what those letters stand for is to analyze power and balance, agency. The first S is safety and trust. The second S is support and then motivation. So those are areas that we all need to look at to figure out like, what's motivating either me or my partner to consent to this? What are things maybe I'm not seeing? Things that are skewing my consent, maybe ways I'm fooling myself into mm, thinking I'm doing something for reasons that I'm really not. So possum. Again, are all three of those acronyms perfect? No. Will there ever be a perfect for consent? No, because it's squishy and it's not an exact science. Consent is not like two plus two. It is a a constantly evolving, learnable, complex human skill. And the best we can do is to use these tools and these acronyms to help ourselves navigate that better. But really, it's messy. It's always different. And it's always up to us to try to act with the most integrity and the most empathy and caring that we can. And I'm going to end with maybe something that's not quite as theory heavy, but it's still a good distinction. I'm on this like distinctions of words and misunderstandings kick. That's where my brain is going. Let me talk about the difference between edging and edge play. I mentioned edge play a few times in this conversation. Is this a conversation monologue? I don't know what this is. But let me explain what it is, because edging and edge play are two very different things. And a lot of new folks don't understand the difference, but also a lot of folks that have been in kink for a while that are very proficient in kink sometimes aren't sure of the difference either. So edge play is any type of play where you are playing at the edges of your boundaries, of your comfort level, or what you personally feel is safe. Now, that makes edge play a little murky. It's not a very definitive definition. There are certain types of kinks that pretty much everyone is going to put into the edge play bucket, you know, blood play, gun play, really heavy psychological mind fucks, those sorts of things. We we could pretty much all agree like those are dangerous. And some of the other things that maybe we're like, I don't know, might be rope bondage. You know, that's a beginner activity, right? Like what? Tying some wrists? 
Well, actually, if you don't know what you're doing, even tying a wrist, you can cause nerve damage. And sometimes that nerve damage can be permanent. So are there are some folks that consider even the most basic rope bondage to be edge play because of those risks, because you can so easily get injured doing something that seems very simple. And other folks are like, Oh, no, that's not that big of a deal. It's I don't consider that edge play. That's really basic. So that's one of the ones that's it's a gray area. It's up to personal interpretation. So watch edging. Edging is all about the orgasm. Edging, you don't have to be kinky to do. A lot of vanilla people do it. A lot of people do it when they're masturbating or just as a inherent uh, to them natural thing that occurs during sex. Edging is when you bring your partner or yourself to the edge of orgasm. You're almost there. And then you back off. And then you do it again. You go to the edge of orgasm, then you back off. And the edge of orgasm, and then you back off. And as I said, sometimes some people just do this as a natural part of sex. It's like that that bit of a tease. Um, and even masturbating, a lot of people prefer that feeling of arousal where you're just before orgasm. For a lot of folks who are like, that's it. That is it. If I could just be in a perpetual state of that feeling, oh my God, that is the best. You can also take edging to extremes with edging games. So that could be, I let's say I'm in a dominant submissive relationship with you and uh, I make you wear a chastity cage, uh, which is a, a cock cage on your penis. So you can't get a hard on and you can't come. And you get to take that off when I say so. And you get to come when I say so. Or it could be as simple as, okay, uh, maybe we're going to talk on the phone on Tuesday night. And I'm going to be like, all right, masturbate for me. Okay, but you got to back off and and not come and just you have to promise your honor system don't come until our date on Friday. And then when our date on Friday comes, then you know, I'll, I'll make sure you come. And not only is that fun, it that arousal and that anticipation and knowing that you can't come often for a lot of folks makes the orgasm when it does happen all that much more better. So that's the difference between edging and edge play. Okay, my brain is taking me to something fun because we're coming to a close and I want to end this on an up note or like a tootie kind of note. Yes, farting. Let's talk about farting. This is a legit kink. Swear, a legit kink. Farting. And I might be giving away a little bit of sex worker secrets who, you know, oh, come on cam and fart for me or make me a custom clip where you fart. There are farty parties and which is ugh, makes my heart sing because it rhymes a farty party. So if you've ever wondered, okay, let's say you have a fart fetish or let's say you're a sex worker who wants to make fart content. How the hell do these people just fart on command? Like I do not have that much command over my intestines or my butthole. Like how do they do it? What if you legit have this fetish and you think it's kind of hot or cool or whatever, but you just can't fart on command? Don't worry, I'll give you the secret. Okay, go to Walgreens. You know, those nasal aspirators for babies, those little bulb 
aspirators where you suck their boogers out. You use that. You stick it in your butt. Don't use the one you're going to use on a person's nose. Have a separate ass aspirator, please. Um, you stick it in your butt. It's a little, little tiny, little teeny tiny. No big deal. You blow some air up there. And then I first learned about this. I went to what I, I call sex camp. It was Dark Odyssey Fusion years ago, which is a all-week kinky camping trip. And they have different parties and different outings. Like every night of the week, there's like five different things going on, like themed parties and stuff that you could go to. And there was a farty party. And I was like, how? All those cry, how? That if farting isn't my fetish. But I'm one of those people, I'm very curious. I want to try from the smorgasbord. I'm just fascinated by different people's fetishes and different people's kinks. Like, I don't kink shame. I don't think anything's weird. Like, if it's, quote, weird, which I really don't think anything's bad weird. I love weird. Weird is a term of endearment to me. The weirder, the better. I fucking love it. I just get so curious. So, uh, yeah, I learned about it's all nasal aspirators, baby. That's how you fart. So I think that's a great place to end. <laughs> uh, thanks, American fuckers. You have been awesome. We love you. You're the reason that we do what we do. And I want to mention this. I haven't mentioned this in a while because we call y'all American fuckers, right? And a lot of people think, well, it's American sex. It's a podcast about sex. Like, we're Americans that fuck. Oh, like it's about sex in America. Yeah, that's part of it. It's sort of a double entendre. Um, you know, on this podcast, it's no secret that we are political, we're progressive, we are doing our best to change the culture when it comes to sex positivity and LGBTQ rights and feminism and all that stuff. So a fucker, not only does a fucker have sex, like fuck is the universal word. It means so much. A fucker is also a disruptor. And we talk about in the beginning of this podcast, you know, the the backward ass puritanical view of sex that we have in America and this dysfunctional relationship we have with sex and how we we kink shame, but at the same time, we're doing the pervious stuff, but we keep it secret. It becomes a big scandal. So American fuckers, you're American disruptors. You're disrupting the status quo, the sex negative status quo. So that's a pep talk for you. You're doing the good work. You're changing the culture keep it up and have a wonderful holiday. Have a, if you celebrate, if you don't celebrate, have a wonderful December and most of January. We will see you back here the last week in January and mwah, happy new year, American fuckers. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. 
I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag SciChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.